From Washington, I'm David Schultz, and this is Talking Tax. As much as tax preparers might hate the big crunch right before April 15th, they also don't necessarily want you to file your returns as soon as possible. As our guest today explains, a little procrastination when it comes to tax filing can actually do you good. Tombo Sabin, Director of Tax Content and Government Relations at the National Association of Tax Professionals and a tax preparer himself, says rushing out the gate to submit a return as soon as filing season starts might not be a great idea, and especially not in a presidential election year. That's because lawmakers in Washington are very eager to enact tax breaks that help their constituents now during this filing season, not next year's. And we're already seeing evidence of that with passage in the House of a $78 billion tax package late last month. Bloomberg Tax and Accounting reporter Aaron Slowey rang up Osabin to talk to him about this and about everything tax pros and tax filers should know about the filing season that just kicked off. She started off by asking Osabin what's new at IRS this year. Well, probably the biggest thing they're doing is uh, with lightning speed, you know, they've come out with this direct file pilot which I believe I just saw uh, a memo on that that is supposed to become live, I think, uh, pretty soon, within the next few weeks. And you might find it surprising to come from a tax professional organization, but I really believe that taxpayers ought to be able to file their own tax return if their situation is simple. All they're really needing to do is verify the information they've received with the government and go on their merry way. So I really commend the IRS for using the resources to get this program up and running. Again, especially for people that have simple circumstances like a a W-2 or maybe a 1099-R for retirement income. Just file and and, uh, get it over with. The tax professional's role is to really be an advisor and a planner and not just so much of a number cruncher. So again, I commend the IRS on that front. They had pretty good numbers for how um, they were able to deal with the... previous filing season. We just had a meeting with them. The National Public Liaison meeting uh, was just on, on Thursday, January 25th. They're doing a better job than than in the in the COVID times. So they really are emphasizing, I think, service and then the integration or upgrading uh, of their systems. And I think that's, that's an important consideration too. As a point in reference, um, one of my own clients, we had to respond to an IRS inquiry. And in the letter that the IRS sent out, we had the opportunity to upload information to a set mailbox. Now, that what that really did was eliminate the U.S. mail time. It still took about 10 weeks to have resolution, but it sped it up some. So I'm encouraged as to what the what the IRS is is doing with the funding they've given. I know the the stories are out there that you know guns are blazing. Here come four you know 400,000 new uh, revenue agents out there looking to audit people. And the IRS has said, yes, if you're high income or, or a, uh, an entity with large amounts of income, we're coming to review. They've made that well known. But I think it's, it's also a knowledge that you want to make sure you've got a good, good input, even you know, an individual, that they're doing everything that they have as, as honestly as they can. And then they don't have to worry about a knock at the door. In terms of direct file, I know the wider application or offering to more taxpayers won't be until like mid-March. What kind of impact do you think kind of that delayed start for the wider group will have on people wanting to use direct file? Well, I think there'll be some impact, but I'll, I'll tell you, we're also 
dealing with uh, Congress making a potential change to especially the the part of the child tax credit. You know, the child tax credit in its purest form is is non-refundable, but there's a portion of it that's refundable, which really is designed to help lower income folks who maybe don't have any tax liability. You know, having that come into play and being enacted and retroactive, you know, would probably support the notion of people not filing too soon. And also, again, in the uh, National Public Liaison meeting that we that we had, the IRS also mentioned that folks who have, you know, earned income credit, those returns are scrubbed a little bit more for fraud, and they won't be sending out refunds, at least on the earned income credit side, about February 27th. So people that are wanting to file their returns as soon as possible, I will honestly tell you, I'm not a fan of that because there's always an opportunity for late receipt of documents, amended documents, corrected documents, something missing, a change from Congress. You know, you got to remember, this is an election year, so Katie, bar the door. Anything could happen, and it probably will. And the notion of making things retroactive, think about if you're a member of Congress. You want your constituency to benefit now, not a year from now. So what do I mean by that? If there's going to be a law change, it could very much be retroactive. And when things are retroactive, sometimes Congress will instruct the IRS to apply the changes and not cause people to have to file amended returns. But typically, again, I will tell you that I am I am not a fan of filing early. And as you're talking about the child tax credit, if it is expanded, I know that there have been concerns on Capitol Hill about maybe child tax credit refunds coming right before the election to give Biden kind of that boost. Is that, that delayed refund, is that something that you're potentially thinking about going into this filing season? I haven't, I haven't thought of it that way other than what I've said, that yes, members of Congress are trying to put money in people's pockets, make them feel better about their elected official, and maybe they'll, they'll vote them back into office. That's a, always a possibility as well. But again, it's how it's applied. You know, and the IRS, yeah, I know they've gotten a lot more resources, but they still have limited resources. And they're, they're trying to hire new staffing all the time. But if they've got one more thing to do, that's going to cause a delay somewhere, somewhere else. So maybe, you know what, I, I really don't think that Congress is run by people who don't know what they're doing. I think it is run by people who know very well what they're doing. And I wouldn't be surprised that timing uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be a factor in when those refunds or additional refunds might, might be sent, especially when it gets close to uh, election time. Earlier, I think you were talking about filing paper returns versus electronically filing. Are there situations where it's better to file on paper versus electronically filing this filing season? Well, I'll tell you, if there's any possible way to avoid paper filing, I would avoid it. I know there's certain circumstances, I don't know those right off the top of my head, but you know, a form that's not available for electronic filing. But two things that happen with, with e-filing a return. Uh, number one, and whether you do it you know, through free file or you get a commercial software or whatever it might be, one of the first things you do is you get away with, from the simple errors, like math errors, or you know, the, the failure to sign or have some kind of identifier that, that gets that return filed electronically. From a processing standpoint, for an electronically submitted return, assuming there's no delays or anything like that, you know, processing time is two to four weeks. For a manually processed return, you're, you're really counting processing in terms of months. And then there's always the possibility, again, of those math errors. Was a form not attached? Did you not sign? All of those types of, of situations, too. So I would advise anyone that 
if there's any possible way for you to electronically file that return or file it direct, like I said, direct file or, or some of the other products that are available, use software or electronic means to submit it. And, and take the two-factor authentication so that you protect your identity. But if there's any possible way to submit your return electronically, do so. I've seen concerns about the two-factor authentication with IDMe as being like a deterrent to filing electronically or a deterrent to filing via direct file. Is that something you hear about? And is that like, how do you get over those concerns? Yeah, it, it's it, it's really it's really tough. It, I, I have to admit it. Yeah, I, ID.me is clunky. I did it myself. And just the, the, you know, does facial recognition and all this kind of stuff. And I know there was some argument from the ACLU about whether or not that was profiling people. I don't know about that, but I know it was very, very clunky. And because what we've been advising, even as tax professionals, is that we think clients should get their online accounts established with the IRS because that's going to make speaking with the IRS and working through problems with the IRS more efficient. But this ID.me thing, um, unless they're making some changes to it, it's been in, in the, the best thing I can say is clunky because when I've had clients do it, Almost 100% of the time, they contact me back and say, this is a real pain. I don't, I don't really want to have to do this. Again, in the, in the NPL meeting we just participated in, IRS apparently is still using ID.me. But I think once you get past the clunkiness, I find now when I want to log in and look at something, it's pretty straightforward. But that initial, that initial pain point of getting that thing set up is, is, the, is the tough point. But maybe that's just something we have to... We have to accept as as we embrace technology, because I'll, I'll tell you, if you want to sit on the phone with the IRS and get get your issue resolved, I hope you've got a day to spend. It's just not going to work as opposed to being able to go to your online account and see what's going on. So uh, I guess accept the accept the growing pains and move forward. But I but I have to admit, even my own experience, it was very clunky. I know. I think the IRS recently announced that they are doing a. A callback number for when you call the IRS, which is something that I think is really exciting. It reminds me of when I'm on the phone with airlines. Let's hope they call back, right? Yeah, that is very true. Um, so another issue we've heard a lot from the IRS on is them cracking down on the employee retention credit. I know there is an, a moratorium and they've been doing a lot, ramping up their enforcement just in the area generally. Is that something you think will come up in terms of taxpayers filing the returns this year? Or is it something that doesn't really apply for the filing season? Well, you know, it could because what happens when there's when an employee retention credit is filed, it's a reduction in payroll expense. Take, for example, if, if someone is a shareholder in an S corporation and the S corporation filed for the employee retention credit, well, there's a trickle down all the way down to the shareholder with a corrected K-1, you know, which said probably... So there was a reduction in expense, which means there were either increase in income, you know, or a decrease in a loss. So they've got an, a, an amended K-1. I don't really see that the individual would be would be impacted by that, other than perhaps having to uh, an amend a return, as opposed to the business, which the business could be, you know, have their feet held to the fire and say, by the IRS, we think this is a fraudulent claim. We want our money back. So on that front, if you want to talk about businesses for a, a moment. We applaud the moratorium, number one, because I think, for lack of a better term, there's a there's a change in how the IRS looks at taxpayers and tax professionals in that rather than say, well, we're just going to accept what you give us 
and then we're going to test it later, why don't we help you have a better submission at the front end? Because we actually, as, as part of a group, suggested to the IRS exactly what they're doing. There's a questionnaire about, you know, kind of check the box. Do you, do you have the ability to file an ERC claim? And if it's, if it's iffy, be careful. And, and secondly, the, they've come out with a settlement program. For those people who've gotten the money, we suggested that along with other professional organizations. Why don't you offer for somebody, if they're not under audit, to give the money back or give a percentage of the money back? So I think the fact that the IRS has, has started that. You know, we talk about this tax relief bill that's going through Congress. They actually want to shut off ERC claims early. The original layout of the bill actually made the, the final filing for ERC claims to be at the end of January. So sometime very soon, um, ERC claims are going, to be, are going to be shut off. So that's how important an issue it is to IRS. But for individual taxpayers, um, unless you're a business owner and you've been involved in an ERC claim, if you're a little bit concerned that maybe it sounded too good to be true, well, then maybe you want to participate in one of these compliance programs. Uh, if you're still thinking about filing for an ERC claim, I think the, the uh, resources that the IRS has come out with, in fact, you can go to irs.gov slash ERC, and they'll walk you, walk you right through it. I just, re- I just recommended that to a client the other day. He said, hey, I heard I might be. And I said, why don't you start there? And then let's, let's talk. So put it on to a third party instead of saying, I don't think you qualify. Let's go through some third party testing. And then another issue that we heard a lot about leading up to the filing season was related to 1099K reporting requirements and for users of Venmo and PayPal. And I know the, separately, the IRS also delayed crypto broker reporting requirements. What kind of impact does, do these delays have on a filing season where people were like bracing for the impact of getting all those forms? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And what I, what I want to say is, so many of the third-party settlement companies, whether you say PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, whoever it might be, they started putting the infrastructure in place for this lower threshold of compliance going from $20,000 or 200 transactions all the way down to any number of transactions and $600. They ramped up for that a couple of years ago. Well, the first delay happened right at the end of the year, a year ago, back at the end of 2022. So, what I told clients is I said, I would not be surprised at all if, you'll, if you still don't receive 1099Ks. Because remember what the IRS is outlining is a minimum level of compliance. Certainly, a company that issues 1099Ks can have their own standards that are more conservative and issue out 1099Ks. And I'm coming to you from the state of Illinois. Illinois lowered its threshold for the issuance of 1099Ks three years ago. So we've been seeing clients getting them and then it comes down to a, what did you do? Why did why did you receive this? And there are means. If it's if it's just we were all out to dinner, ten of us, no business relationship, you know, said, hey, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pay the bill because I want the airline points, and then everybody's going to Venmo me their part, and now I got a 1099k. There was no business discussed or anything like that. Well, I can't ignore the 1099k. That's the first piece of advice. Never ignore an information document. But does it mean I have to pay tax on it? No, no, they're going to report it on the return. Then the IRS actually gives us instructions which say you can take it off as an adjustment to income, say that it was, you know, non-business related. So the question again becomes, what did you do? What Was it business related? Well, then, yeah, it should be part of your gross receipts. If it was received personally, like I described the dinner, 
put it on, take it off. If it's a hobby type of situation, again, put it on, take it off. Was it the sale of a collectible or something where it would be a capital transaction? So again, the point is to sit down and say, hmm, don't throw it in the trash because throwing the trash doesn't get rid of it, okay? Because it's electronically submitted to the IRS. But what did you do and what is that What is that reporting? So I would expect that people will receive them anyway was the short answer uh, to, a, to a really straightforward question. Yeah, I know one of the misconceptions that I hear about a lot is that it doesn't, like whether or not it changes the amount of taxes people owe. And the answer to that is no, correct? If it's if it's received personally, then it does not change the amount of the amount of tax the individual owes. Now, if you ignore it, here comes the correspondence from the IRS, which says, "Hey, this is missing off your return," and there are they are going to add it to income because they don't know what else to do with it. That was Tom O'Sabin, head of government relations at the National Association of Tax Professionals, speaking with Aaron Slowey. And that's it for today's podcast. You can find up to the minute news and leave tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax is produced by myself, David Schultz. Martha Mueller-Neff is our editor from Washington. I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.